Hi everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Greg Dickerson from Dickerson International. Welcome, Greg. Hey, Rama. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure, Greg. Little bit about Greg. Greg is a serial entrepreneur, real estate developer, coach, and mentor. He has bought, developed, and sold over $250 million in real estate, built and renovated hundreds of custom homes and commercial buildings, developed residential and mixed-use subdivisions, and started 12 different companies from the ground up. Greg currently coaches and mentors some of the top entrepreneurs, real estate investors, and real estate developers around the world, helping them start, grow, and scale their business, raise more capital, and do bigger deals. Greg's current clients have over $2 billion in asset under management and deals in process. Greg is an expert on the topics of entrepreneurship, leadership, and real estate, and is regularly interviewed on some of the top real estate investing and business podcast today. So with that, Greg, you want to add anything to your background? Uh, no, that's it. Uh, you know, that's me in a nutshell, serial entrepreneur, real estate investor and developer and, you know, macro investor. And, uh, you know, that 250 million, you know, that was my own cash, my own deals. You know, I've done several hundred million, you know, with investors and partners and, um, you know, several hundred million in equity capital for, you know, companies and businesses. So, you know, I do a lot of different things, very diverse background. I've been, you know, an entrepreneur since, 1997, so 25 years now. Awesome. Solid background. Absolutely. So let's jump into your development experience. So share me a little bit more about your, you know, uh, biggest developments or, you know, some challenges or, you know, so the process. Yeah. So, you know, I started out in a resort rental area, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, uh, you know, summer vacation home destination and started out, you know, as a remodeling contractor, handyman and built that into a $30 million building company, you know, building and developing multi-million dollar beach houses sold it, you know, reinvested those profits back into other projects. And, you know, I've done several uh, land development projects, some out in your area uh, in Mebane, North Carolina, did a hundred unit mixed use development out there. That was my first land development project that I ever did like that. Um, I did some stuff in Edenton, North Carolina, some stuff in Greensboro, you know, bigger and bigger projects and mainly developing land and selling them in those areas, you know, to the national and regional builders. And, uh, you know, I've done um, office, retail, mixed use, you know, multifamily, just pretty much everything uh, from a development standpoint and a redevelopment, adaptive reuse, which I really enjoy that, taking old buildings and making them new. So, you know, that's what I've done my entire career and just kind of started small and scaled it up, just like most developers in the space do or have done. Nowadays, you can you can start a lot bigger because it's, you know, much different environment to raise capital and things like that. Back when I was doing it, it wasn't so easy. Uh, to raise capital and get investors into developments. You had to fund a lot of projects yourself, you know, or, you know, with uh, limited, limited partner resources. But, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, where I started and, and what I've done over the years. Got it. And, and you mentioned you focused on land development, land development and redevelopment. Uh, share me a little bit more about what is the process and what are the challenges with land development, re redevelopment? Yeah. So development in general, as far as challenges. So as a developer, you're a visionary leader, you know, delegator, motivator. 
So you're eternally optimistic, but at the same time, you're managing risk. So you're a, a risk manager because, you know, development is risky and whether you're doing, you know, buildings or houses or whatever it is, you know, there's always risk. So when it comes to land development specifically, where you're buying a parcel and subdividing it into smaller parcels, uh, there's a lot of risks. You know, you have a regulatory risk, meaning, you know, you're not sure going in if you're going to get the approvals you're looking for and, you know, what kind of density you're ultimately going to end up with. So you have to manage that risk and hedge against it uh, in terms of, you know, what you're paying, what you end up paying and what you can do with the property. And, uh, you know, things change along the way. For instance, that Burlington, North Carolina project uh, that I did, well, Mebbin actually is where the land was, but right next to Burlington. Uh, when we were doing that, we went in, we made some assumptions on the cost profile of the project with our uh, sewer lines. And, you know, generally, uh, you can use plastic sewer lines in a lot of area or you use cast steel sewer lines. They wanted us to use clay ductile, which is extremely expensive, you know, and this was 20 years ago, you know, one of my first projects. And I mean, it, it increased the project by several hundred thousand dollars for a hundred lot subdivision. And that was, yeah, that was expensive back then. So we went round and round with the city, you know, to ultimately get that uh, mitigated out. But, you know, anything can and will happen with, you know, from utilities to, you know, topography, you know, you can hit rock in certain areas. It can be extremely expensive. You know, there's just all kinds of things that can happen. You can hit underground, you know, wells and springs and things like that. So when it comes to developing land, there's just a lot of different things that you have to be prepared for and know how to navigate once you hit them. And, you know, I've been doing it long enough where I've pretty much experienced about everything you can. Uh, I was working on one project in Virginia early in my career where, we were doing a development, golf course development, and we found an Indian burial ground. So, you know, brought the whole, this was a huge development, golf course development, brought the whole thing to a standstill, and we had to mitigate that. So, you know, a lot of different things can happen. So that's where the risk is, and it's all about risk management uh, when it comes to development. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's challenging. It's creative. Uh, it's all about maximizing density, maximizing the value of your investment, you know, things like that. And then, you know, all of these things that pop up just create more challenges that you have to solve. And that's the biggest thing that I can tell people in terms of investing, whether it's businesses or real estate or stocks or whatever, is that, you know, as a entrepreneur, as a developer, as an investor, you know, we're solving problems. And I look at every problem as an opportunity, you know, to um, overcome that problem. And the bigger the problem, the bigger the reward and the bigger the opportunity. So look for big problems to solve. That's where your big opportunities are, which bring big rewards. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, solving big problems, get better, bigger results. Yeah, and the business you're in, one of the biggest problems that you've solved pre, you know, 2020, we're in a different market right now, but prior to, you know, the downturn that we're in right now and the risk off environment we're in, the biggest problem you were solving was was placing capital. There's a lot. There was a lot of capital, you know, looking for places to go. So real estate syndication has been a fantastic vehicle for investors to place capital. Little different right now. It's a little bit more risky right now, and investors are pulling back, and banks are changing, and things like that. But you know, that's that's been a big problem over the last couple of years with all the capital that was injected into the markets um, and all the wealth that's been created is that investors have been looking you know, for somewhere safe to place their capital and real estate has always been, you know, one of the safest places, you know, traditionally the best hedge against inflation and, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, pretty in interesting environment over the last number of years. 
Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So how do you see current market situation from real estate perspective, like commercial real estate, real estate, multifamilies perspective? So the whole macro environment, you know, and you have to look at, you know, the global macro environment because everything, you know, has a bearing on real estate. So we're in the risk off, you know, we're in risk off environment right now. We're in one of the most challenging environments that we've seen in a number of years, probably since 2008 and 9. Um, you know, there's a lot of things out there that are that are creating headwinds for the economy and for uh, investments. Obviously, number one is inflation, which triggered the Fed to have to, you know, act and react in a way that they haven't done in a long time, you know, which is obviously increasing interest rates, which is affecting credit markets, you know, things like that. We have the war in Ukraine, which is you know ultimately going to impact uh, the supply chains and, and things like that, you know, that hasn't trickled through uh, the economy yet. You have the lockdowns in China with the you know coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we haven't cleared the deck in, you know, in this country from the coronavirus, you know, supply chain issues and labor issues and things like that. You know, that pandemic fundamentally changed the work environment. A lot of people have left the workforce, which has created, you know, uh, labor shortages, which obviously creates uh, a rising cost of labor, which is you know one of the biggest expenses for a lot of businesses. So there's a lot of economic headwinds out there, and a lot of them have not come home to roost yet. We haven't seen the full effects of everything that's happening right now between interest rates rising as rapidly as, rapidly as they have. You know the war in Ukraine, you know the China lockdowns. Uh, you know, all of those things. And then, of course, you know, monetary policy, you know, uh, in quantitative tightening, meaning the Fed is not injecting capital in the markets, they're not buying mortgage-backed securities, they're not buying treasuries, you know, they're releasing those and uh, reducing the balance sheet. So we have a lot of these things that, you know, that we're facing right now that we have not seen the effects of. So so global markets uh, have gone through a deleveraging and they're continuing to do that. Once they fully deleverage, then there's a repricing that has to take place and the markets have to determine, you know, what's the value of these assets. Real estate is going to go through the same process. You know, real estate is going to go through a deleveraging, you know, process with a lot of investors that are exposed and, you know, heavily leveraged with uh, adjustable rate debt. Uh, so that's going to that's going to go through a deleveraging and then ultimately a repricing, which is already happening right now in the real estate market, but it takes a little bit more time. Financial markets react much quicker than uh, real estate markets. Got it. And thank you for sharing your point of view. How do you see like real estate space next 12 to 18 months? It really depends on the interest rate environment and the um, credit markets. So the Fed is going to continue to tighten and continue to raise rates till something breaks, meaning the markets, you know, really, really crash. You know, and I'm talking 50% down from all time highs, you know, to 60% down right now, we're, we're only down about 15 to 20%, depending on the market. Uh, you know, the Dow is down probably about 10, 15%, you know, NASDAQ's down, you know, a little about 20, 25. So we're, we're nowhere near the bottom in terms of what's going to take, you know, what it's going to take to get the Fed to react if they do at all, because they said they're not going to pay attention to the markets. The next thing that could break uh, because of all this is credit markets. And that's where the Fed could react uh, is if credit markets start to break. And what that means is, you know, lending dries up. And that's what we saw happen, you know, 2008-9. It was a systemic bank fail failure, banking crisis, and then, you know, lending dried up. So if you have high interest rates and lending dries up and becomes more stringent and difficult, and you see credit controls, meaning they're requiring higher credit scores, more reserves, you know, better financials, things like that to get a loan, 
uh, that eliminates the ability for people to borrow money that are borrowing money now. And if nobody's buying mortgage-backed securities, that means that you know the agencies are going to pull back. They're not going to be lending as much. So that will drastically affect the values of real estate in a negative way. You know, as rates go up, prices come down. And, it, and again, it takes time for that to occur unless you have a credit crisis and a banking crisis and liquidity dries up, the funding dries up, because the only thing that makes a deal is the financing. So without the financing, there is no deal. So when that dries up and tightens and gets more expensive and more punitive, it gets harder to do the deals. Uh, so you know the deals have to reprice in order for them to work. And we're seeing that already. You know, with rates at you know the mid fives to upper fives, they haven't even really gotten back into the six or seven percent range yet. So if rates get into that six or seven percent range, you're going to see you know a pretty good contraction in prices. You know, back to where they were before the pandemic. So basically, what I'm anticipating over the next couple of years is asset prices at all levels and all classes, real estate, stocks, crypto, the whole nine yards, everything repricing back to pre-pandemic, uh, you know, highs, you know, or, or average prices before the pandemic, because we've had this huge run up over the last couple of years because of all the liquidity injected to the markets, you know, artificially lower interest rates, things like that. Got it. So what do you think, how much percentage will go down 20 to 30 percentage or even more? You know, it depends on the market and the asset. Every market's different, you know, uh, Real estate's hyper local, so it's really hard to say. Um, you know, if you look at national averages like home prices, you know, you could probably see a twenty to thirty percent decline if the um, rates get into the six and seven percent range. We're already seeing a five or ten percent decline right now, but we're at obscene levels that you know really we should not be at. So it's kind of arbitrary. Uh, so I think if you see a 30% decline, you're just back to normal, healthy levels of where we probably should be and where we were before the pandemic. So that's 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 a pretty easy you know decline to anticipate, uh, and it's it's pretty reasonable and rational uh, from a commercial real estate standpoint. Depends on the asset. You know, multifamily is going to be the slowest uh, to decline, uh, just because it's you know the most sought after asset in real estate right now. You know, in terms of uh, between commercial, uh, office, retail, you know those types of things. So industrial, multifamily storage, those types of assets are the most sought after. They're going to continue to hold their value a little bit better. But as these, you know, some of these interest only bridge loans, you know, come uh, to refinance here in the next couple of years for a lot of these deals that have been done over the last three, four, five years, a lot of people put that five-year, three-year, five-year floating rate interest only that they have to refinance and they may not be able to without a huge injection of capital. You know, you might see some of those deals start to come around. So you look at where where have these deals traded, you know, at the lowest cap rates, and that's the Sunbelt. So if you think about the Sunbelt areas, you know, that's where you might see some, you know, real adjustments to prices and cap rates, you know, the fastest. Uh, and then you already have other areas that are less competitive and less attractive. We're already seeing, you know, deals retrade and prices come down and cap rates go up. So, uh, you know, it's it's hard to say, but, you know, the most popular, highest, you know, lowest cap rate, highest sought after markets are the ones that are going to feel the effects first as, the cost of those uh, the financing and funding and things go up for those assets and investors, you know, are going to look for more for their money in a risk off environment as well, because they're, they're taking more risk. So those are the types of things that are going to, you know, force prices to retrade. Got it. Got it. Yep. Thank you. So uh, how to find, you know, uh, deals in this like interesting time or challenging times? So uh, by making offers and continuing to, you know, look, you have to look at a lot of deals, you got to make a lot of offers. But like I said, you know, you want to stay in touch with brokers on deals that maybe you made an offer on, didn't go through because a lot of stuff's going to retrade. A lot of deals are falling through at the closing table right now. Uh, funding is getting pulled at the last minute or changed and the deal doesn't work. 
So I would, you know, number one, follow up with all of the deals that you've recently offered on that you did win and see what happens. Uh, and then I would just, you know, stay in touch with if you're if you're using brokers, stay in touch with them and in front of them and let them know that, you know, you're ready to go. But you got to make sure the deal works with, you know, rising interest rates and the cost of the capital uh, going in. You have to make sure your rent assumptions are going to work, you know, because we've seen huge increases in rent to the point where people are pushing back now because they just can't afford it. So they're moving uh, or they're not paying, you know, so you have to expect rents to kind of cap here at a certain point where we're reaching critical mass and in a tipping point and rent thresholds, you're going to see areas start to institute rent controls. So uh, one way is brokers, another way is owners, another way is property management companies, uh, and then other large investment uh, like REITs, you know, investment houses like REITs, pension funds, you know, they're starting to spin off some of their assets uh, and rebalance and bring cash back to the balance sheet. So you know, those are the general traditional sources and obviously word of mouth, you know, you just always want to let people know in the business what you're looking for. But there's gonna be a lot of investment funds, a lot of syndicators, a lot of other investors are going to be spinning off assets because they either can't refinance, deal doesn't work anymore, or they're just, you know, they just want to deleverage and bring cash to the balance sheet and kind of weather this, you know, little time period that we're in right now of uncertainty. Awesome. Yep. Thank you very much. Uh, would you share any, any of your best real estate investing experience so far? My best real estate investing experience. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been in I've been in the business 25 years, so I mean, I've done a little bit of everything, um, and I'm opportunistic. So, I mean, my returns are infinite in terms of the types of things that I do. So, I mean, they're all really good. You know, I mean, early on, I had some deals that you know were just magical, where you know I made a lot of money without having to put any money in them. So, I mean, real estate in and of itself is is just you know incredible, and I don't have any single best deal ever. I mean, they're all. They're all different. They're all really good. And the way I do things, you know, my returns are infinite. So, you know, they're all like home runs. Awesome. And would you also share any any challenging experience in real estate space? Yeah. So obviously, you know, the challenges were obviously I was I was hot and heavy 2008 and 9. So those were some of the biggest challenges I faced were the banks um, called loans, you know, that I had. I could not refinance a lot of projects that were coming that, you know, were coming uh, to CO and stabilization, you know, I had permanent mortgage commitments on the back end of a lot of those loans and the banks weren't there to provide that funding because they were collapsing. So the biggest challenge in my career was 2009 and I weathered it because I had assets, I had cash and I had non-recourse debt. Um, so the banks had to work with me because I had no basis in anything. I had no risk in anything and they knew that. And, um, you know, it was, it was survival mode, but that was the most challenging time in my career. So uh, I bought my first house in 1990. So I was, you know, I had, I had a business construction business back then. So I went through that, that time period, the early nineties were very difficult. Uh, and then things were, you know, booming again until the late two thousands, mid to late two thousands. So I made it through that time period. And, uh, and here we are again, you know, facing another economic downturn and, you know, potential, uh, to see some of the things that we saw in 2008 and 9, you know, different environment. But, you know, if, if, like I said, if the credit markets start to crack, you know, we could see some problems in banking like we saw back in 08 and 09. Maybe not to that degree, but there's a lot of leverage in the system right now that, that needs to come out. And that was one of the biggest problems in 2008 and 9 was, you know, a lot of over leverage, a lot of bad loans, things like that. This, the problem this time is liquidity and over leveraging. Uh, and with asset prices falling like they are, that that's what creates that credit crisis. Um, so those were, those were very challenging times, but I made it through, and uh, you know, was, learned a lot of great lessons off of it. And you know, I've been kind of talking risk management, you know, since the end of last year, end of 2021, 
and, you know, kind of putting the warning flags up for people to, you know, start paying attention, to start loading up on cash and to be patient. And, uh, you know, here we are. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. What is your current focus? Share something you're excited about now. Cash. So right now I'm on the sidelines. I'm, I'm you know, taking a step back and just kind of watching the dust settle because, you know, we're, we're this is this is a very difficult, challenging time right now. So I'm in no hurry to do anything. Um you know, cash is the best place to be in these environments. So then you can take advantage of opportunities once the dust settles. But uh, right now, this is this is risk off. Right now, this is, you know, stack cash, you know, keep your powder dry and be ready because there's going to be a lot of real big opportunities here as we, uh, you know, start to see the events of, 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 you know, things unfold and, you know, all of these, you know, headwinds and risks to the economy, like I'm talking about, you know, start to play through and roll through. Uh, you know, over the next couple of quarters, you know, that's when you're going to see, you know, the dust settle and the chips fall. And, you know, that's where the opportunity is going to be to come in and, you know, scoop up some nice assets, take over some projects, you know, make some moves in the markets, things like that. So same kind of stuff we saw in 0809, uh, same kind of stuff we saw, you know, 2018, it wasn't as big of a, of a hit, but it was big enough, you know, to where, where there were some opportunities, you know, the last time the Fed tried to tighten, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm on the sidelines watching and waiting. Awesome. Thank you. And any books that impacted your life and what way? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the four key books that I read that really changed my life and my thinking early on were, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, you know, that was to me all about, you know, creating. I wanted to be Rich Dad when I read that book. I wanted to be got, the guy that was building businesses that generated cash flow to invest in other assets. So that's what I did. Um, and then Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. You know, those are the three and How to Win Friends and Influence People with Dale Carnegie. So those are the four instrumental books that were pillars of my business mindset investing philosophy starting out because I didn't know anything. I didn't go to college. You know, uh, I went in the Navy right out of high school, did four years. I got some training in the Navy and took some courses, but I, I did not have a college degree and I'm not formally educated but I'm highly self-educated through, you know, books and courses. So those were the first four and I've read thousands of books and, you know, audio books. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I, you know, when it was the, you know, cassette Walkman, uh, all of the tapes that I had, I had no music. It was all, you know, uh, personal, professional development, business stuff that I would listen to while I was exercising, you know, in my car, driving around. And then, you know, obviously it went to the CD uh, and then it was the 80 gig iPod that came out, and, you know, uh, and now the iPhone. I have no music, never had any music on any of that. It's always been business books, personal and professional development books, you know, sales training, investing, just, you know, all kinds. So, I mean, I've just read literally thousands of books over the years uh, that have kind of, you know, poured into me. But those are the core, you know, four core books. And pretty much all of them are the same stuff, just repackaged different ways at the end of the day, you know. Um, so, you know, and I continue to read business books today. What I like to read a lot of, uh, are other entrepreneurs and, you know, successful entrepreneurs and business leaders of our time, you know, like the Sam Zells of the world and, um, the Tillman Fertitas and, uh, you know, Ray Dalio, um, you know, uh, Schwartzman, Iger, you know, all of them. Cool. Awesome. And thank you for sharing that. And how are you giving back to community, Greg? So, you know, in terms of giving back, what I do is I coach and mentor people, you know, all over the world. I've created a school of entrepreneurship where I have courses that are very affordable that basically I've packaged everything I've learned, everything I know and everything I've learned over the last 25 years, you know, doing everything from investing in markets, starting companies, buying companies, you know, building and developing real estate, buying and investing in real estate. So I've 
packaged all that knowledge up into some, you know, courses that are very digestible. You know, they're short, they're easy to understand, easy to digest. They have some downloadable resources. So I've created that school of entrepreneurship and I'm continuing to make new courses um, for that uh, as we go along in different areas of business and, you know, mindset and things like that. Uh, And then of course, coaching and mentoring people all over the world, you know, I have a program, you know, for that uh, as well. And, uh, you know, so and those are just, you know, from a professional vocational standpoint, in terms of, you know, philanthropy, you know, I've always been, you know, involved in all kinds of different nonprofits my entire career. And, you know, I do a lot of things in the faith community and the nonprofit community, things like that. But, you know, the biggest thing I want to do is just pass on everything I've learned over the years, because I've got such a diverse background and I've been through so many different cycles uh, that, you know, it's just that that experience, wisdom, you know, and lessons that I've gained over the years are just invaluable. And uh, I hear all the time from people that take my courses or that I'm coaching is that, you know, that one idea, you know, that they'll talk to me and I'll give them one idea or one inspiration that's just like a game changer for them. And it changes the entire trajectory of their life and their business. And, you know, that's what I love. That's what tickles me, fills me and, you know, gets me out of bed in the morning. Awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you, Greg? gregdickerson.com that's where all my info is uh all the courses uh, youtube channel uh, i've got a youtube channel uh, where i make videos every day on all kinds of different things and a uh, podcast as well so that's where all my information lives awesome and thank you very much greg thanks for sharing your you know experience on land development redevelopment and also your perspective on current markets thank you very much yeah thank you for having me i enjoyed it sure Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.